Kindness is Magic by Dubravka Kolonovic. It was already late when Wolf began walking home. Bump! He heard a strange noise and saw a little owl had fallen from a tall tree. Little owl ruffled her feathers and shook her head, but luckily she didn't seem to be hurt. Let me help you get back in the air, said Wolf. He picked little owl up and gently tossed her as high as he could, but she fell down again. I don't know how to fly, little Wolf admitted. You can stay with me tonight and I'll help you in the morning, said Wolf. Wolf stayed up really late that night. He did lots of research on flying and owls. Little Owl did not sleep either, but owls are always awake at night. The next morning, Wolf and Little Owl went to the top of a hill. Wolf decided it was the best place for flying lessons. Little Owl didn't agree. I'm afraid of heights, she said. What kind of owl are you? Owls are not supposed to be scared of heights, scalded Wolf. Wolf thought about what to do. Maybe if you had something to hold on to, he said. He gave Little Owl a balloon. It was not easy to part with his favorite blue balloon. Little Owl grasped the balloon, but her grip was not tight enough, and she fell down again. What kind of owl are you? You're so clumsy, said Wolf, upset. Wolf had another plan. He took a ladder from his house and brought it to Little Owl's tall tree. But Little Owl was too scared to climb alone. She just clung to Wolf until they both fell. You can't do anything by yourself, complained Wolf. Wolf was tired and losing his patience. Little Owl looked at Wolf with her big, sad eyes and said, What kind of owl am I? I'm afraid of heights, clumsy, and I can't do anything by myself, she said. Her words made Wolf blush. What kind of a friend was he? I'm sorry I was so mean, little owl. I'm sure you can fly if you really try, said Wolf. Just wave your wings like this. Go on, give it a try. Wolf encouraged his friend, and little owl tried really, really hard. She flapped this way and flapped that way until she found herself flying through the air. It's amazing how magical a few kind words can be. Wolf was very happy for his friend. She was once again back home, perched on the branch of the tall tree. Little Owl was happy too. At last she could fly. Little Owl flew back and gave Wolf a kiss on his nose, whispering, thank you for being so kind. Archie's Bag of Treasures by Lucy Barnard. Look at my gift bag, Oliver said excitedly, and he pulled out a beautiful silver pinwheel. I don't want to see your silly bag, said Archie in a huff. Archie's big brother Oliver had been to a party, but Archie wasn't invited. Oh, Archie, don't be like that, said Mommy. Let's find a bag and put in some lovely things just for you. Yes, please, agreed Archie. Archie found a beautiful glossy chestnut. This is the first special thing for my bag, he told Mommy excitedly, and in it went. A beautiful red leaf sailed down from the sky and landed right on Archie's nose. This is the second thing, Archie said. He found some sweet, juicy blackberries, one went in his bag and one in his mouth. Scrumptious! Archie spotted some thistles and asked Mommy to pick him one. It reminds me of Sam Hedgehog, he chuckled. They were headed for home when Archie noticed something hidden in the tufty grass. It was a beautiful glass marble that glittered in the sunshine. Archie popped it in his bag. But just then, with a flapping of wings and a shrill, 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 caw, a huge magpie swooped down. The magpie had seen the marble glinting in the light. It snatched Archie's bag and flew off into the sky. What can we do, Mommy? Archie cried out. 
I don't know, my love, began Mommy, but she was interrupted by a loud shout. Hey, Magpie, look over here. The bird whirled around and flew toward Oliver, who was holding his silver pinwheel. The bird dropped Archie's bag, grabbed the silver pinwheel, and flew away. Wow, you were amazing, said Archie. Safely back in their little house, they all sat down for a tasty snack, and Oliver shared the cake from his gift bag. Sorry I was mean to you earlier, said Archie. You're the best brother ever. And he reached into his bag and pulled out the marble. I'd like you to have this. Let's share it, said Oliver, and they both scampered off to play. At bedtime, Mommy tucked them in. Oliver's bag is a bit empty now, said Archie with a yawn. It is, Mommy replied. Let's go out together tomorrow and find what special treasures we can find to fill it up. Archie and Oliver both agreed that was a very good idea indeed. Jerome and the Babysitter by Eileen Cristolo. It was five days before allowance day and Jerome was broke. I can't even buy an ice cream cone, he sighed. Go find a job, said his older sister Winifred, who was a babysitter. Then you'll be rich like me. Sometimes Winifred had so many babysitting jobs, she asked her friend Lulu to help. You could ask me to help, said Jerome. I'd be a terrific babysitter. You're too yo old, young, said Winifred. Why don't you go sell lemonade, said Lulu. But I want to be a babysitter, said Jerome. Brothers are such pests, sighed Winifred. Just then, someone called who needed a babysitter right away. Oh, no, groaned Renefit. It's Mrs. Gatorman. Don't look at me, Lulu said. I'm busy. I'm not busy, said Jerome. What a wonderful idea, said Winifred. After this, he'll never ask to babysit again, whispered Lulu. Oh, boy, said Jerome. You're a real peach, Winifred. He hopped onto his bike and hurried over to the Gatorman house. Mrs. Gatorman rushed out the front door as soon as Jerome arrived. I'm late, she said. The little angels are eating their supper. All you have to do is put them to bed. That sounds easy, said Jerome. Then he heard a loud crash. What was that, he asked. I didn't hear a thing, said Mrs. Gatorman, as she jumped into her car. Good luck, Jerome. I'll be back in a couple of hours. Jerome found the Gatorman kids in the kitchen. They did not look like little angels. Jerome gulped. I'm Jerome, the babysitter, he said. Oh, good, a new babysitter, said the Gatorman kids. One of them offered Jerome a piece of candy from a heart-shaped box full of frogs. Yipes, gasped Jerome as one of the frogs jumped onto his head. April Fool, called the Gatorman kids. This isn't April Fool's Day, said Jerome. It's always April Fool's at our house, said the kids. You look a little shaky. Would you like to sit down? They offered Jerome a chair without a seat. Oh, no, groaned Jerome. We fooled you again, said the Gatorman kids. Well, you won't fool me a third time, said Jerome. I'm going to give you a bath and put you to bed. He marched the Gatorman kids into the bathroom and filled the tub with water. The Gatorman kids filled it with bubble bath. Don't put in too much, said Jerome. That's way too much, shouted Jerome. All I can see is bubbles. Where are you? The Gatorman kids had vanished. Jerome searched all over the house. He couldn't find them anywhere. Winifred should have warned me about this, he grumbled. Then he opened the coat closet door. Four alligators walked out. They were dressed in hats and coats. Who are you, gasped Jerome. Just the visiting relatives, they said. Excuse me, said Jerome. I was looking for the Gatorman kids. Maybe they're up on the roof, suggested the relatives. Hadn't thought of looking there, said Jerome. One of the relatives found a ladder and held it while Jerome climbed up. 
No one was on the roof, but someone was taking the ladder away. See you later, alligator, shouted the Gatorman kids. Hey, wait, come back here, yelled Jerome. But they ran into the house, leaving him stranded on the roof. I'll never get down, groaned Jerome. What will Mrs. Gatorman say if she finds me up here? Then he heard a whistle. A policeman was standing on the sidewalk, pointing at him. Stop, thief, yelled the policeman. Who, me? gasped Jerome. I'm not a thief. That's a likely story, said the policeman, as he hauled Jerome down from the roof. But I'm babysitting the Gatorman kids, said Jerome. The Gatorman kids, said the policeman. I've heard about them. You better get back to work. After the policeman left, Jerome peeked through a window. The kids were watching a monster movie on TV. They looked scared. That gave Jerome an idea. A few minutes later, he knocked on the window. The Gatorman kids looked up. It's the monster, they screamed. Go to bed, snarled the monster, or I'll come in and get you. He started to raise the window. The Gatorman kids raced to their bedroom. They jumped into bed and hid under the covers. Then they heard footsteps. The monster's coming to get us, they all screamed. The bedroom door opened slowly. April Fool's, said Jerome. When Mrs. Gatorman returned home, she found Jerome reading bedtime stories to the children. I don't believe it, she said. The little devils are almost asleep. How did you do it? Er, uh, it was easy, said Jerome. Mrs. Gatorman paid Jerome. You obviously know more about babysitting than your sister, Winifred. The last time she babysat, I found her on the roof. You did, said Jerome. When Jerome got home, Winifred and Lulu were waiting for him. How did you like babysitting at the Gatormans, Winifred asked. Lulu giggled. The kids were little angels, said Jerome. They were, said Winifred. Oh, yes, said Jerome. And here's a present for thanking, to thank you for giving me such a wonderful job. He handed Winifred a harp-shaped box full of frogs. Christina, Katerina, and the Box by Patricia Lee Gauche. Christina, Katerina liked things. Tin cups and old dresses, worn out ties and empty boxes. Any of those things, but mostly boxes. Hat boxes, bakery boxes with see-through lids, shoe boxes. Best of all, she liked big boxes. So she was happy indeed one sleepy summer day when even her sometimes friend Fats Watson was out of town to say a truck deliver a great tall box. It came on a refrigerator. Oh, how grand and new, Christina's mother said, looking at the refrigerator. It is. Oh, it really is, said Christina, looking at the box. And she quickly claimed the box for her own and dragged it under the apple tree. To Mother, who was very neat and tidy, it seemed that boxes were for basements or trash barrels, not for front yards under apple trees. But she decided that it couldn't hurt. It couldn't possibly hurt for one day or two to have the big box in the front yard there under the apple tree. That afternoon, Christina's father cut a window and door in the box, and Christina painted on turrets and drawbridge and bolts for the door. And the box became a castle. Inside, she put sticks on the window for iron bars, and she brought in all her cups and saucers and a lot of fig newtons in case there was a battle and she couldn't get out. For two days, she and her bears lived and played in her castle peacefully until Fats Watson came home. He sneaked into her castle while she was out to lunch and ate all her fig newtons, and she locked him in until he hollered, I'm sorry, 15 times. When she finally let him out, 
bounce gave Christina's castle a kick, and over it went, smack on its side. Mother came out and saw the fallen box. I see that's the end of the castle, Christina, she said with a smile and started to haul it away. But that's no castle, said Christina, hauling it back again. That's my clubhouse. And it was for three long days, right there under the apple tree. Christina changed the window into a door and the door into a window. She put in two benches for members and a chair for the president, and she painted, keep out, members only, and danger to enemies on the outside. And she let Fats join. Then they met in the clubhouse, which was very dark when the door was closed and very secret, and they spit on a nickel and swore to be friends forever. And they were. Until one day when Fats got angry at always being vice president, he climbed on the clubhouse roof and promised to sit there until Christina made him president. Only the roof caved in first and Christina disbanded the club. When Mother saw the satin box, she brushed her hands together. Now she would have her nice, neat yard. Well, she said, that is the end of the clubhouse, and she tugged it toward the street. But that's no clubhouse, said Christina, tugging it back again. That's my racing car, Hermione, and I'm late for a race. Before speeding off, Christina put the top on the bottom, turned the window into the cockpit, and on the sides painted two magnificent curling silver horns, which she blasted at Fats every time she rounded the apple tree. For two days, she raced around the yard and won every time, until Fats said he'd take a look at the motor, that it didn't sound quite right. When he cut off the nose to get at the motor, the car collapsed. Christina's mother was relieved. Well, that's the end of the racing car, she said, as she pulled the cardboard toward the trash barrel. But that's no racing car, said Christina, pulling it back again. That's the floor of my summer mansion, and I'm going to have a ball. And she did, right there under the apple tree. She patted the box out flat and drew furniture on each flap. A stove and refrigerator for the kitchen, a bed for the bedroom, and a grand piano and a violin for the living room, so there would be music for her ball. Then she and her bears and fats, dressed up in gowns and high heels, bow ties and top hats, and they invited kings and queens and some presidents and one vice president to come. And everybody came and they danced and danced until their feet hurt and they had to take off their shoes. Even without shoes, Christina had a wonderful time. Until fats decided the floor needs scrubbing. He sprayed it down with a garden hose and mopped it until the floor puckered and grew lumpy and finally fell apart. When Mother came out a little later and looked at her front yard, she shook his head and, her head and said, Well, and then, is this the end of your grand floor? What floor, asked Christina, who was running by. Oh, you mean that old ragged box? Let's throw it away. Mother breathed a sigh. At last, she could have her nice, neat yard. But quit, Christina said. Fats' mother got a washer and dryer today, and he's bringing two ships down now. I said my mother wouldn't mind a bit if we sailed them here in our front yard, right under our apple tree. What Makes a Rainbow by Betty Schwartz. Little Rabbit and his mother were sitting under a big red flower petal. Look, said Little Rabbit, it stopped raining. Yes, said Mama Rabbit, soon we'll see a rainbow. What makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Why don't you ask your friends, said Mama Rabbit. Ladybug, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. 
Red, said Ladybug, gently closing her red wings. You need red to make a rainbow. Mr. Fox, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Orange, said Mr. Fox, switching his orange tail. You need orange to make a rainbow. Little Chick, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Yellow, said Little Chick, fluffing her soft yellow fuzz. You need yellow to make a rainbow. Mr. Grasshopper, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Green, said Mr. Grasshopper, rubbing his long green legs together. You need green to make a rainbow. Bluebird, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Blue, said Bluebird, ruffling her pretty blue feathers. You need blue to make a rainbow. Butterfly, what makes a rainbow, asked Little Rabbit. Purple, said Butterfly, spreading her delicate purple wings. You need purple to make a rainbow. Well, said Mama Rabbit to Little Rabbit, now you know what makes a rainbow. Rain, colors, red, orange, yellow, green, purple, green, blue, purple, and sunshine. Super Completely and Totally the Messiest by Judith Viorst. My room is very neat, like me, Olivia. Jake, my big brother, is sort of, but not a huge slob. And then there's my little sister, whose room is seriously, I mean seriously, revolting. Which is one of maybe a million reasons why my sister Sophie is super completely and totally the messiest. Hello, is anybody home, I ask, when I open the door to her room. Because even when she's there, it's hard to find her. I mean, there's so much stuff on her bed that sometimes I just see the top of her head. And there's so much stuff on her floor and spilling out of her dresser drawers that sometimes all I can find is a nose or a toe. And there's so much stuff in her closet that once she opened up her closet, don't do it, I hollered, watch, stop, no. She super completely and totally disappeared. I mean, Sophie isn't just messy. She is the messiest. Maybe you think that Sophie isn't so messy when she's in school. If you think that, you would really be wrong. Maybe you think she isn't a mess when she puts on a fancy dress and goes to a birthday party. If you think that, you would really be wrong. Maybe you even think that she could play with crayons or paints and not mess up ceilings and cats and herself and everything. If you think that, you would be so really, really wrong that might be a year before you were right about anything. I'm her big sister and some things I know for sure. And one thing I know for sure is that whatever Sophie does, she is the messiest. Like once we went to the seashore where they were having a sandcastle contest and Sophie was just carrying her pail and her trowel. And just with her pail and her towel, she super completely and totally wrecked seven sandcastles. And once when we went to a circus where a juggler was juggling eggs and pitchers and flower pots, Sophie got to bring her kite along. And just by letting go of her kite, Sophie wrecked the juggler and a dozen eggs and all of the pitchers and flower pots. And once we went to a farm to visit some chickens and cows on a vegetable garden and pigs, Sophie's shoelaces were, they're always untied. All I can say is poor chickens, poor cows, and poor vegetable garden. No, I can say something else. I can say that all of the pigs on that farm thought my so sister Sophie was their cousin. No, I'm not a rude person. I would never, ever, ever call Sophie a pig. I'm only saying that pigs think Sophie's a pig. I'm only saying this, that wherever my sister Sophie goes, she's super completely and totally the messiest. I keep on telling Sophie, try to be neat like me, Olivia. 
She says she'll try to be neat, but she forgets. Our mom keeps telling Sophie, try to be careful like Olivia. She says she'll try to be careful, but she forgets. Our dad keeps telling Sophie, watch where you're going and watch what you're doing. Try to pay attention like Olivia. She says she'll try to watch. She says she'll try to pay attention, but she forgets. And so when Sophie cleans up a mess, it's a messier mess than before she started. When Sophie clears off the plates, they'll never, ever, ever need to be cleared off again. And if you bought a new car and you gave Sophie riding that car, it would look like a really old car in about two minutes. Sophie is always making and being a mess. Like last Halloween when Sophie decided to wear a nurse's costume. White hat, white uniform, white socks, white shoes. She wanted to dress like a nurse because I told her that a nurse is never messy. What I meant, of course, was a nurse isn't messy unless she's the sort of nurse who tricks and treats all over her white uniform. Unless she's a nurse who gets candy corn stuck in her teeth. Unless she's a nurse who falls in when she bobs for apples. Unless she's a nurse who could make you super completely and totally sorry that you ever answered the doorbell on Halloween. What I mean is, maybe you've met some messy people, but you've never met anyone messier than Sophie. Like Sophie's got this hair, this frizzy, fuzzy, curly hair, and it sticks out around her head like a cloud or a mist. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and higher and bigger and higher because she freaks if anyone tries to cut it. Hey, Sophie, who's living in there? A couple of birds, a family of mice? That's what Jake sometimes says. He's only teasing. But once when our dad was combing her hair, he combed out a whistle, a ring, and a piece of a sandwich. And once when our mom was combing her hair, I thought I heard some chirping and some squeaks. If you're looking to see messy hair, I mean, if you're looking to see messy anything, just look at Sophie. I keep on telling Sophie, try to be more like me, Olivia. She says she'll try to be like me, but she forgets. Our mom keeps telling Sophie, try to hold the plate tight like Olivia. She says she'll try to hold tight, but she forgets. Our dad keeps telling Sophie, wipe off your mouth and your hands and your shoes. Try to be unchocolatey like Olivia. She says she'll try to wipe. She says she'll try to be unchocolatey, but she forgets. And just listen to what happened when Sophie said to Jake and me, could we please help her make our mom breakfast in bed for Mother's Day? No, she didn't spill the orange juice. Jake and I helped her pour it. She didn't burn the toast. We helped watch the toast. We also helped her to not smear strawberry jam all over the kitchen and not to put a ton of cereal in the bowl. Then all of us carefully carried the tray to the bedroom. Then Sophie felt so proud that she had made her mom breakfast in bed that she climbed on the bed and started yelling, Yay! 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 Except that while she was yelling, yay, yay, she also jumped up and down, which is not a good thing to do with breakfast in bed. I mean, it was super completely and totally ugly. I mean, nobody's better at making a mess than Sophie. Our mom says I shouldn't tell you that Sophie's a kind, very nice person, even though she messes up breakfasts and beds. Our dad says I should tell you that Sophie's a smart and funny person, even though she wrecks sandcastles, jugglers, and vegetable gardens. Jake says I should tell you that Sophie's great at puzzles and dancing, even though she's not great at cleaning in a room. Sophie says I should tell you that she didn't mean to drown the kitchen in water, even though she left the faucets running. And I would like to tell you that even though I would bet my best bracelet that Sophie will never be practically perfect like me, I'm hoping that one of these days she'll start to remember to stop forgetting to try not to be so super completely and totally the messiest. The Selfish Giant 
by Oscar Wilde. There was once a beautiful garden that belonged to a giant. The giant had traveled far away many years earlier, but nature had cared for his garden. It was carpeted with soft green grass and decorated with lovely flowers. Peach trees stood over it. In the spring, they burst into delicate blossom. In autumn, they bore golden fruit. Birds sat in the trees and sang sweetly all day long. Every day after school, children would play in the giant's garden. They sat in the trees and danced through the grass. The giant's garden was such a happy place. Then one winter's day, the giant returned from his travels. What are you doing in my garden? He growled at the children, and away they ran. What nerve, grumbled the giant. Imagine coming into my garden without being invited. From now on, it will just be me playing in here. Then he built a high well around the garden and put up a sign saying, Trespassers will be yelled at. The children had nowhere to play, but the giant didn't care. What a selfish giant. Then spring arrived. All over the country, the trees blossomed, the flowers bloomed, and the birds sang. But in the giant's garden, it was still winter. No birds had visited since the children had been driven away. And now the trees refused to blossom. Even the flowers couldn't be bothered to wake up from their winter sleep. Snow and Frost were delighted. We can live here all year round, they said. Snow covered the grass with her thick white blanket. Frost painted the trees silver. Then they invited their friends Northwind and Hail to stay. Northwind raced around the garden and thrashed at the garden's ha- giant's house. He knocked bricks from the chimney and swept shingles off the roof. Hail thudded down on the giant's house all day long, every day. How the miserable giant wished they would all go away. Spring never arrived at the giant's garden that year, and neither did summer or fall. They all thought the garden was too, giant was too selfish. Then one morning, the giant was wrapped up in bed when he heard some beautiful music. It took him a while to figure out that it was birdsong. It had been so long since he had heard any. Before long, hail stopped and the north wind died down. Then a delicious flowery smell wafted through a crack in the window. Hooray, cried the selfish giant. I think that perhaps spring has arrived at last. He peeked out the window to see. In the garden, a wonderful sight met his eyes. The children had climbed through a hole in the wall and were sitting in the branches of the trees. The trees were so pleased to see their old friends that they had burst into blossom. The birds were singing with joy and the flowers had popped up their heads to see what all the fuss was about. The garden was beautiful once more. There was just one corner where winter remained. Beneath the tree stood a small boy. He was crying because he was not tall enough to reach the tree's branches. Frost and snow still covered the tree while the north wind and hail raged above it. As the giant watched the weeping boy, his heart began to thaw. I've been so selfish, he thought. Now I know why spring would not come to my garden. I will go out and help that poor boy. So the giant rushed out into the garden to help. When the children saw him, they were scared and ran away. Winter returned to the garden at once. Only the small boy, who was too busy crying to notice the giant, remained. The giant crept over to the boy and gently lifted him up into the tree. Snow, frost, hail, and north wind disappeared in a flash. The tree burst into blossom, and birds flew over and began to sing. The boy was so grateful that he leaned down and kissed the giant. The giant's heart melted. When they saw that the giant was no longer grumpy, the other children quickly returned to the garden, and with them came spring. The giant was delighted. He took out a huge axe and, with a few hefty blows, knocked down the wall around the garden. The garden is yours now, he told the children. Play here whenever you wish. I now see that being selfish only leads to unhappiness. When the villagers passed by on their way home from work, they were surprised to see the children playing in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. 
they were even more surprised to see the giant playing with them. Everyone was delighted that the selfish giant had given up his wicked ways.